Welcome to The Well Drop, Own Your Wellness. I'm your host, Amber Berger. And I'm Dina Wismer. We are mothers, friends, wellness experts, and self-described warriors who have each experienced our own unique personal wellness journeys. We are your wellness friends here to give you drops of wisdom we've discovered over the years that actually work. Wellness, what is it really? The struggle is real and we're here to help sift through the noise. Today with us on The Well Drop, we have Dr. Rachel Skolnick. Everybody calls her Dr. Rachel, so I'm going to go with Dr. Rachel today. Is that okay? totally okay. I met Dr. Rachel about seven years ago when I had tremendous hip pain after my third pregnancy and third C-section. And since then, I've sent everybody I know, all family members, all children, all friends, to her whenever they have aches or pains. She graduated from New York Chiropractic College in 2015. She's trained in multiple methodologies, including IASTM and certified in ConnectTX, NEMO, STECO, and Active Release Technique. All of those I hope to touch on today so we can explain what they are. She also has been awarded advanced certifications in sports science and human performance from NYCC. She specializes in sports injuries and the treatment of athletes of every age and performance level. Her patients represent a wide variety of professional boxers and MMA fighters, Olympic athletes, college athletes, and both major and minor league baseball players, including my own children who are currently training for the NBA as as they they see it in themselves. Exactly. (laughs) So welcome, Dr. Rachel. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, guys. We'll start with the beginning. Start with how you ended up to be this world-famous chiropractor. Um, (laughs) How did you get interested in chiropractic care and what led you Well, it's actually kind of funny because I actually didn't start undergrad to becoming a doctor. I actually hold a K-12 PE and health teaching degree in the state of Indiana. And when I graduated in 2010 from Indiana University Bloomington, I entered a time where there were no jobs for teachers. And I remember watching Misty May Trainer of the Olympic USA team at beach volleyball. And I saw her chiropractor on the sideline. And I was like, this is my shot at the Olympics. That was my one shot at making it to being a professional sports athlete of any sort to the Olympic stage. I thought that would be the coolest thing ever to do. I always loved helping people. I always fell in love with medicine and the way it works. And I didn't know what kind of medicine I wanted to fall into. But I was like, chiropractic. I had seen chiropractors my entire life. I was an athlete growing up. And it always made me perform better. So I looked into it and I fell in love. So what is chiropractic care? I think people have a misconception of what chiropractic care is. I know there's a lot of videos out there of seeing people just getting their necks snapped and their backs cracked and things like that. And most people really think that chiropractors can only really work on the neck, the spine, and things like that. But most people don't realize that chiropractic care is more than that. It's myofascial work. It's tissue work. It's understanding the sliding and gliding of muscles and tissues and fashion, how they're supposed to move, and restoring that function before getting an adjustment, which is great, but it not end all be all of chiropractic care. But I know that there's this conception that you have to have the crack in order for it to work. But a lot of times, you know, you don't actually have to adjust anybody to fix somebody with chiropractic care. So what are the different ages that somebody can come for chiropractic care? Um, There are actually specialists in chiropractic care for prenatal. So babies all the way to my oldest patient, I think, is 96. 
Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize even for myself until my kids were a couple years old that you couldn't even bring a baby there, especially I know a lot of people with the babies who are born with the flat heads and sometimes get those helmets to wear. How does chiropractic care help with that? Is it because you're, is there myofascia in the brain? I don't even know. The way that works with babies and things like that, because, you know, patient Babies will have torticollis, they'll have, you know, stomach issues, they'll have gastrointestinal issues. And people forget that childbirth is very traumatic to the child itself. So whether it's a regular vaginal birth or a C-section, the baby's having so much trauma being yanked out of the area and coming through the canal and just so much stress on the body that we forget that that baby has a system just like us. Whereas if we were to go through a system like that, I think we'd all be a little off and irritated and disoriented. And chiropractic care allows the alignment of back of the body for the child, the infant, to just get realigned to its neutral stage. Because before it goes through the canal and has to be pulled out or yanked out or with forceps or whatever they use, there's a lot of damage that happens to the child. And I think we forget that sometimes. It's not the... The cleanest method of removal. You, you just made me understand why all of my children cried nonstop for the six, first six months after they were born. <laughs> I think I would have had a lot more patience for it if, well, one, if I wasn't so sleep deprived, and two, if I had thought about it in those terms. So yeah, yeah, thank it's you. just as scary for them as it is for you to have them enter the world as it's them being pulled into the world. It's yeah. much safer inside. I think that's fascinating. And it's all technically natural, right? You're just using your body and kind of putting it back in place if things kind of got out of place. Yeah. So in terms of like the different ages, so people can come from the babies up until their 90s, in the practice that you guys have, like there's so many different, you just named a bunch of different types of different codes of a chiropractor. Could you explain the different types of chiropractors out there? Because I didn't know that there are also multiple types of chiropractors. There are different types of chiropractors. You have many different levels. You have from the extreme holistic to the more medically based and anywhere in between. So you have chiropractors who are kinesiology chiropractic. They'll do crystal versions with crystals and things like that. There's more medical based, more philosophical based. Uh, there's diversified practitioners, and then there's everyone in between. So there's a very broad spectrum of chiropractic, and where you fall and feel comfortable within that spectrum is really up to you. I will never say that, you know, waving crystals over a patient doesn't work because maybe it does for some people. So until you try it and it doesn't work for you, that's the only way to know that it doesn't work. And now does insurance cover these types of treatments or does it only cover specific treatments? It generally does cover chiropractic care, but unfortunately it doesn't pay a lot to chiropractors. So my office specifically is cash-based because we do a lot of myofascial work. Most insurance companies will only pay for an adjustment. I know Medicare will not pay for an initial exam on an older person. They will only pay $10 for a patient to have a visit. What kinds of questions should you be asking if you are considering see seeing a chiropractor for the first time if there is a wide variety and there is a wide variety of injuries and ailments that can be treated? What are the questions you should be asking yourself and a prospective chiropractor before going? So the questions that I would ask myself before seeing any type of doctor, whether it's a chiropractor or a medical doctor or any kind of doctor is, what, am, what do I want out of this? What is my goal? What's wrong with me? What am I feeling? 
where do I feel comfortable on the spectrum? Do I want more holistic? Do I want more Western medicine based? Is my injury sports? Is my injury fatigue, overuse, chronic, things like that? Those all come into play of, you know, where do I sit on the spectrum? I have lots of patients who come into my office who don't want to be adjusted. And I respect that. And I always tell them, I go, listen, if I don't have to adjust you, I won't. And sometimes just building up their trust and doing the tissue work and seeing how far you can get until that point reaches where that adjustment is actually really needed, then they'll actually feel comfortable and confident in you to do it. So it's also you want to feel confident with your doctor. You don't want to feel uneased or nervous. And your doctor should be able to make you feel comfortable. If they can't answer certain questions, if they're trying to sell you a package, those are all red flags to me. You never want to be sold on a package. I always tell my patients when they come in, depending on what they have, I go, all right, let's give it two or three visits and see how it goes. Because truthfully, after the first visit, I don't know how it's going to go until I see how they come back. Right, that was a good question I was going to ask you. It was like, how often should somebody see a chiropractor in general? You know, it depends on what's also wrong with the patient. Are you acute? Did you just throw your back out and you can barely walk? You know, that patient, depending on how severe they walk into my office, I've had patients walk, take a wheelchair in and walk out. It really depends on the severity of the patient. So a patient like that, depending on where they fall in the week, because we were only there five days, I always try to leave a day or two in between, depending if you're very acute so that the body can settle a little bit. So like a patient like that could be two to three times the first week and then twice the next week and then maybe once they're about 70% better, once every couple weeks for just until we get them to 100%. I walked into your office limping you seven did. years ago. You did. And I walked out not limping. Correct. <laughs> about 80% better. I find that personally, yeah. for me, and everybody's different, as you said, that exactly. it's helpful to try to be preventative as well. Um, yes. To come in somewhat regularly, monthly or even bi-monthly, even when I'm feeling well, to make sure that things are in alignment so that I don't end up limping again. Is that something that's useful? Truthfully, that is exactly what we try to promote to our patients. It's We don't want to treat you after the fact that you're injured. We want to see how you're doing before because people forget that pain is the last sign of injury. And unfortunately, when you're there, it's late and you're already late for the office. And then people will wait and wait a couple weeks until they realize that it's not going away or not getting better until they can't take it anymore. And that's when they come in. The longer you put it off, the longer it will take to fix. You know? Yes. I think that's in our culture too, right? It's like we... Work hard, play hard. You push it, everything to the limit. And then all of a sudden, when you literally like are smacked into the wall and you like can't move, you're like, okay, maybe now I'll deal with it. I think that's such great advice uh, for people that preventative care, right? Like going in, like who knows? I, I've gone for chiropractic work for the last few years and I'll go for kind of like a tune up every, not even every month, like every quarter. And, exactly. You know, I love the quarter. could be system. out of alignment. And you don't even realize that. And then if you constantly are living and walking and something's not in alignment, that's where like the compounding effects happen, right? Oh, 100%. I I always tell my patients who've come in acutely where the hot flaming disc and a nerve and things like that, I make sure that they're on a maintenance system because they require the tune-ups in order to keep them not needing the surgery or not needing the epidural and doing the activities that they want to do. They need the most cautiously care, I call it. I had one patient who literally, she came in, couldn't move. We fixed her. We kept calling her for her checkup, her checkup, her checkup. 
The day we stopped calling is the day I got an emergency call. I can't move off my couch. Can you come get me? That's a great something you just alluded to. When does somebody know whether to seek out chiropractic care or a different medical doctor? Depends on what did you do? How did you injure yourself? I have a lot of patients that come to me because they know that I'm going to either guide them to the right doctor, evaluate them, diagnose them, or treat them. So building your trust with your patients to knowing that they're safe and that you're going to get them to the right place. You could go to any doctor as long as you trust them enough to knowing that they're going to send you to the right person. Whether I can't treat them, I'll be honest and be like, hey, this is not a condition for me. I've had patients refer me other patients who came in and he had a full Achilles tear. And I looked at him and I go, this is a full Achilles tear. You need surgery. And I immediately got on the phone with my contacts at HSS, got him into HSS immediately and sent him over, stabilized the Achilles and sent them over for surgery. Now, I find a lot of times people think about going for physical if they're feeling pain of some sort or something feels, they go to a physical therapist first. They don't necessarily always think about a chiropractor first. Now, what's sort of the difference between the two? And maybe how can we like shift that maybe it's a chiropractor that maybe you go see first or not? So like what, yeah, what would help somebody of more, course. I guess? Um, what we always say is when people come to us with P- that have been in PT and it's not working, there's a reason why it's not working. It's not working because the tissues that they're strengthening are not actually being strengthened. They're still compensating using muscles around the area to do the work. So the patient will still have pain and discomfort. That tissue requires actual manual therapy. PTs tend to stay away from a lot of manual therapy because, again, they're not getting paid for that. So insurance-based PTs, just like insurance-based chiropractors, are not going to be doing the manual therapy that most people need or require. So going to a PT who maybe you're paying out of pocket to, again, you know, knowing that you're getting the services you need or require, end up having a better result because they're going to get the tissue work that they require because PTs are certified in instrument-assisted soft tissue, which is IASTM. They are, you know, certified in ART and they do have myofascial backgrounds, but most of the time you're just giving a sheet of list of exercises and they watch you perform them. Maybe once in a while they'll throw heat or stim on you, but that's really it. And then people come to me going, I went to PT. I did all the exercises. I did all the exercises. Why am I not getting better? And then I evaluate them and I see all the dysfunction that's still in the tissue. And then I treat the tissue. We get them moving in better. And then we can actually then strengthen the tissue correctly because now they're actually using the tissues that they injured and strengthening those tissues versus everything around it that they've been using to compensate for the injury. Can you you just can you explain ART again? Yes. I know we mentioned in the yes. end, and then you also mentioned STEM. All those things yes. I think are tools that maybe some people aren't yeah. familiar with. Active release technique is a method called ART. It's very widely known. Um, it got its big name in the Ironman competitions, and it's about getting the tissues to move and glide. So what you do is you put the tissue into a shortened tension, and then you lengthen the tissue at the same time. So you then you move the the limb or the muscle or into a lengthened position to get the glide between the fascia and the muscle. So everyone's body is covered in fascia. Fascia is basically a covering over muscle. So for people who are vegans or vegetarians, think of an orange. That thin white layer over the meat of the orange slice is fascia. That fascia has a soapy layer that's supposed to be able to glide over the muscle belly. And what happens over time and injury is that soapy substance becomes very thick and like viscous, kind of like a very thick honey. 
And so that the object of myofascial work is to get that substance and the tissues to glide past each other, to restore the functions, to allow the muscles to regain strength so they can be active. Is there a certain age when your myofascia starts to sort of harden? It's not so much when it starts to harden as it is more injury-based. So as kids, we fall a lot. We jump from trees. Um, you know, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Unfortunately, when we're younger, we bounce back and like, you know, falling out of the tree, like, oh, I broke the arm. I didn't do the PT. No big deal. Eventually, your body catches up to you and those injuries actually do matter. I had a 18-year-old in my office today who broke his elbow when he was six and eight. He's a piano player. He's having wrist pain. He also has upper back and neck stiffness and tightness. And his shoulder was sitting so forward. But because of the injury he had and the, in, like, the fact that he didn't do any PT because the doctor was like, okay, you're fine, you're a child, go back to play, his parents didn't think anything of it. So what happens is, is your body starts to build the dysfunction based on the injury and how you were put in the cast and how you were doing your life. Right, you overcompensate when you have an injury You change like the way you do things. That becomes your new normal. And your body can only do that new normal for so long until it breaks down and says, hey, we're tired. We can't do it anymore. Because your body can only do compensation for so long because those muscles are doing their job plus somebody else's job. Yeah, I never thought about it like that, but it completely makes sense. I mean, everyone says kids recover so fast. You know, if they break a bone, sometimes they don't even need a cast. Oh, they're fine. They're going to heal. No problem. But actually, I think as a parent, it's a great way to sort of reset our minds of, okay, the doctor can say that they'll be fine, but maybe as a checkup so we don't have a problem down the road, let's have them go to a chiropractor just to sort of see what's going on and make sure that there's not some overcompensation because naturally they would. I mean, any person would. And it's sort of if you can get ahead of it early on, it will save you in the future of having you know, some greater pain or discomfort or even per- creating another injury on top of that, I'm sure. And that's, sure. A, that's a huge question that we also want to ask you today is what can we do to prevent injuries, right? I mean, at home and, and obviously it's fantastic to have chiropractic care when you need it, but Correct. the goal is to be on a maintenance plan exactly. and not an acute plan. And how do we get there? I think, you know, a lot of people need to take the time and actually stretch. Unfortunately, we're a society that sits a lot more than we used to, especially with the pandemic. We were all locked inside a lot. Um, We saw a lot of different injuries based from the pandemic with different things. You know, TMJ became very popular for mask wearing. Um, I've seen more and more TMJ every day. Different back injuries from sitting and sitting in inappropriate places. So the number one thing that people really need to start to do is actually focus on stretching. There's a lot of great stretching devices out there. I know a lot of people are afraid to stretch because they don't want to do it wrong and they don't want to hurt themselves. But there's some great new devices like Castle Flex, which is a great stretching device. It's a little bit expensive, but it's worth the money. They made a lower model, which is a sport edition, which is also very great. And it's actually user-friendly. It's great for kids, elderly adults, sport athletes. Lots of professional athletes are using them. A lot of MLB teams, a lot of NFL players love the device. Elderly people love it because it's hand sensitive, so they can actually grip it with their elbows. They don't have to worry about arthritis in their hands, and it gives you an actual even stretch. The key is finding a device where it's not going to hurt you. There's a lot of devices out there that require a lot of effort and things like that that can also hurt you. 
So it's finding a device, finding a good device, finding a safe device for you and things like that. Are there any basic stretches that someone can do at home? Like three basic stretches like every day if you're just sitting. I think so many people are watching so many shows these days, right? You're watching TV. I try to get my son like sit on the floor while you're watching and do some stretching. But then he goes, I don't know how to stretch. I don't know what to do. It's funny because I hear people going, I don't know what to stretch. Like I, I had a patient. I was like, are you doing your stretches? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'm doing my stretches. And I was like, oh, okay. 10 minutes later, she goes, hypothetically, if I were doing my stretches, what would they be? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so simple, but really, you know, I think people, maybe we get intimidated, you know, like the sense of perfectionism. We're not doing it right. Well, you don't want to hurt or, yourself. You don't want to hurt yourself. Yeah. And people get nervous. And you're right, perfectionism. And also the fact that you have to take 10 minutes out of your day to actually do it. People don't like to be inconvenienced. So when I prescribe stretches for patients, I try to – prescribe the easiest, laziest stretches possible because at least maybe they have a shot at performing them. I like your low expectations. <laughs> you, you know what? You have you have spectrum of patients. You mm -hmm. have the patient who's like, I want to get better and I'm going to do the exercises. And you have the patient going, give me the exercises. I'm going to do them. And they never do them. And then six months later, they start doing them. And they're like, oh, I feel better. And I was like, did you think six months ago that they weren't going to make you better also? <laughs> So you have to you have to understand your patient. That's number one. And understanding psychology of patients. 90% of your patients are not going to perform the exercises. But if you can get one or two patients to start stretching on their own and they're like, oh, I'm doing my stretches and I feel so great. And that's when you really see it pay off. Right. And then the goal is to get them from like the acute situation into more maintenance mode. Exactly. I mean, when you're really acute, there are no stretches to do. It's more of, we call it triage. It's get you out of the spasm, get the disc down, get the inflammation down. And then because patients are like, oh, I want stretches now. I want stretches now. There's a time to do stretches and then there's a, not a time to do stretches. When you can barely move, you're past the point of stretching. You're not going to fix it. If somebody's in an acute state, do you also recommend in addition to the manipulations that you can do? Is there medicine involved? Is it Advil for inflammation? Or is that like separate where the doctor then it's kind of in combination with that? In talking about patient noncompliance, the amount of times Rachel told me to take Advil or Motrin and I have not listened um, and not done it. And she always tells me, you would reduce your inflammation if you would listen to me. And then, as you said, several weeks later, I do it and I feel better. So right. please go ahead. Well, technically, we're not allowed to prescribe medication. But there are medications we do recommend. If I was in that situation, I would take that because – you know, we want to reduce the inflammation in the disc or, you know, we, you know, there's a lot of medicines on the market that chiropractors are aware of, like a medrol dose pack, which is a steroid pack. It goes six, five, four, three, two, one. It's one of the greatest inventions for when you're in acute discal pain. It's highly inflammatory. Your, your body's really angry. The nerve is really angry. And the first thing you want to do is get the disc and the nerve to calm down. Because if you can stop the triggers of the body saying, send the pain receptors, send the pain receptors, send the pain receptors, then we can stop the inflammatory cascade a little bit to allow the nerve and the disc to heal. So working with a traditional MD is always great also because it allows you to get the Western medicine that is actually required to help aid in the care of chiropractic. I think they go hand in hand. I don't think, you know, one's necessarily better than the other. I think they're different. Do I always think that you need medical intervention for certain things? No, but there's a time and a place for it, and medicine is needed. 
and I'll always make the recommendation to patients. Like they're like, oh, I don't like taking it. I don't like doing that. Two days later, they're still uncomfortable, and I'm si- and then they look at me and they're like, I should have been doing it. I'm sorry. I'll do better. They come back in and they're like, you were right. Sometimes just getting that instant inflammation like down a little bit goes a very long way. Are there other things that can be done at home, for instance, Epsom salt baths, other things that help with pain? If you're in, let's say, in treatment, right. and uh, what can we do supportive? Yeah, no. I always home. tell patients, I go, if you love a bath, take a bath. Epsom salt baths are great. They The salt heats up, allows penetration into t- uh, tissue deeper. If you're not a bath person, I understand that. Hot showers are great. Put the hot shower head on it. On Friday, I actually got out of a chair at a restaurant in Europe, and I couldn't move. My back locked after walking 10 miles a day for eight days on cobblestones and uneven surfaces and all that good stuff uphill, downhill. My back locked. And I was getting on an airplane back to the U.S. Saturday morning. I had bought in Voltaren gel in Europe. They make it here in the U.S. too. Topicals. Topicals are great. Anti-inflammatories are great. Heat is great. When in your acute situation and there was no direct trauma, heat is always the way to go. Ice is great if somebody hit you with a baseball bat and there's a direct trauma, but heat if it's more muscular. So like if you just stood up and you like pulled out your back or you sneezed and you your back went out or things like that, heat is the better option because what we're trying to do is get the muscle spasm down and the tissues to relax. Ice I will think that's just, helpful. I'm always confused. Ice? Do I heat? Like, when do I do what? So I think that's well. Really it's a very big that. debate in the medical community overall whether ice or heat, whether even ice after 24 hours does anything. There's a huge debate. It's really, I tell my patients because some patients hate heat. They're like, I don't like being hot. I go, great, use ice. I go, if you if you're an ice person and it works for you, ice is your answer. If heat's your what works for you, heat's your answer. So there's no direct definitive answer. It's really, again, patient-based. And it's, every medical care should be patient-based. Cold plunges are very popular these days. They are super popular. <laughs> People love them. And a lot of professional sports teams have always used the cold plunge. The women's yeah. USA soccer team has been one of the prime premier teams that have always used the cold plunge post-cardiovascular activity, especially endurance-based activities. It's a great way to reset the neurological system, cool the whole system down, and then they go and do heat therapy and massage and everything after. But it's they always jump in the cold plunge right after. Amazing. I'll have to have a competition, Dina. I know. Well, I was thinking that versus the infrared sauna, right? Oh. I mean, there's like, as you said, you're hot or cold oh, or both. It's really what you like. <laughs> or you could do both. You know, both yeah. are great. You yeah. could do both at, on the same day. Like, you know, some people like doing ice first and then heat after or vice versa. It's really person to person based. I, I have come home and found my husband like – in a hot bath and jump in a cold shower and back and forth. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I, I, you know. <laughs> He's playing around with his neurological system. Yeah, He's trying to, you know, play around with it and reset it. Yeah. And that's exactly what that does. Yeah. It's because you're putting your body through two extremes, so your body has to guess and kind of figure out what to do. Listen, if that's his midlife crisis, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So one last question we have for you is, because you treat so many pro athletes, is there any, like, little secret that you can share with our audience on how to try to either prevent injuries or like a number one 
tool that you like that has helped for people recovering from injury? I think the number one thing that I've seen really help patients recover from injuries is the Castle Flex device that I recommended. Also, there's the posture pump. So if you have a disc issue, it gives you a little bit of cervical traction, that one I like for patients. Kinesiology tape is also great to put on for injuries and things like that to give you a little support without being too supportive. Focusing on your injury, knowing you have the injury and respecting your body is the number one prevention. It's knowing when you had a warning sign and understanding the warning sign. Our bodies all give us a warning sign prior to the oh no moment. It's whether you listen to the oh no moment ahead of time versus the past. Like patients will be like, I don't even know what happened. I haven't changed anything. And then you're treating them and they'll be like, oh, four months ago, my back hurt a little bit and then it went away. That was the sign to seek don't treatment. Ignore. That's the I do not. That's great. Exactly. That's the do not ignore signal. That's, hey, you need to do something. And if you can't seek treatment, let's say either it's a cost issue or time issue or any of the above, do you seek out the hot or cold bath? I mean, is that's it helpful? when you start doing the preventative care. Yeah. When you start to feel that ooh, that didn't feel good, but later that day you felt fine. That's when you start stretching. That's when you start doing the heat. That's when you start doing a little bit of preventative so that you don't get to that oh no moment. Patients would be like, all I did was reach for the tissue. It's not the tissue. It's what led up to that point. Right. I think we're so disconnected from our bodies. And like you said, our bodies definitely send us signals and messages and to really tune into it. I've actually had two major injuries in the last two years. I've never been injured. All of a sudden, I like broke my foot after running the marathon. Nothing related to the marathon. And then a snowboarder took me out last year on a ski slope, and I bruised my rib. And I've never been so injured in my life. I was trying to think of like, well, was I ignoring some signs? Like, what is this trying to teach me? Or just for me, I think it was about just slowing down maybe. Well, you know, with the marathon and the foot situation, it could just been overstress and overuse because of all the pounding. So it didn't have to happen during the race. It's what did you do post-race? And that added up to it. Right. I thought so too, also, because I ran the half after I ran the marathon. That's, so yeah, that's a lot of stress. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> and my, my major, I tore my ACL yes. about six, six was, years ago. Six years ago. Um, and I was, it was at a time when I was extremely sleep deprived because um, my youngest wasn't sleeping at all. And I went to a CrossFit class when I, sh with my body, I knew was depleted. Mm -hmm. I knew I was exhausted. I knew I shouldn't be there. And having nothing to do with the class itself, I hurt myself and that was because I I should have listened mm -hmm. and I knew my body was depleted and I thought, no, I got to work out. I got to work out. And I ended up with a torn ACL. I always say it's like going down the last run of the day on the ski mountain when you're tired and exhausted and your body's saying no, that's when you get hurt. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Right. The thing you tell your kids, right? Like, don't do it. You're tired. You have to tell yourself. Oh, yeah. We're, we forget we're the to worst tell ourselves. We're, we're terrible. Yeah. I once had a patient try to ice who put ice on her back and then called me and told me that she burned herself. And I go, you have children. I go, when you're putting ice on your child, how do you prepare the ice pack? And she goes, well, I would put a towel on it. I go, so why don't you qualify for the towel? Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This has been so informative and a huge reminder to listen to our bodies, to pay attention. Yeah. We need to hear that every day. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. hundred times a day. A hundred times a day. Um, so thank you so much for coming here to chat with us and remind us. Thank you for yeah. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Subscribe to The Well Drop on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Share with a friend who can benefit from listening too. 
follow us on social media at The Well Drop. The Well Drop podcast and content posted by Amber Berger and Dina Wismer is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast or website is at the user's own risk. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, professional coach, psychotherapist, or other qualified professional, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical or mental health condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered health advice. The WellDrop is not responsible for any losses, damages, or liabilities that may arise from the use of this podcast.